five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA, searching the world for marketing news every day. Bringing it to you every day. Maybe we'll add that in. I keep changing it up, but it's okay. Make you, make you smile, I hope. Uh, let's get over to the news. Okay, first we're going to start off with one of the world's best ads, right? So uh, this was an ad that Sony did to sell color TVs. And they did it in a, in a housing project in Glasgow. Took them four days to clean it up. So let's see what it's about. It's pretty funny. I think it's funny. So they're spraying paint. They're exploding paint bombs all over this project just to show you the vibrant color inside rooms I don't know how they did it, it cost them two million dollars to produce it some of them look like CG but it isn't project was scheduled for demolition, but we still had to clean it up a bit. This is an ad celebrating color. Again, one of the one of the one of the drums top one hundred top one hundred ads of all time for Sony Bravia LCD televisions. You probably never saw that because it probably mostly aired in the UK. Okay, so now let's switch over to our PDF and you might see the scroll down below which is about uh, we're gonna try and get this <laughs> the style consultants really busy so if you wonder where she's been lately uh, you might want to shout out and say, hey, style consultant, we need you back. John is uh, is losing his style. Anyway, um, but she says I can I can give it a go, and so we're going to be sending out an email about the about this. Hopefully, get it together about this uh, webinar that would be about a week and a half from now on Thursday, August 18th at 2 p.m. Central Daylight Time, Chicago time, and uh, mark your calendar, and we'll get you more information. And uh, we'll have a sign up on WDMA. I think we're going to charge a little bit for non-members. And uh, if you if you sign up, you'll get a uh, maybe for members too. I'm going to make available. I'm rewriting my my spinning straw into gold book, and I'm I think I'm going to make available uh, uh, pre-publication copies. Um, you know. So you'll you'll see the the chapters. I'm adding about three or four new chapters, and rewriting the whole thing. So I think you'll I think you'll enjoy it, and it's more geared toward valuation in general. Some of the breakthrough insights that we've gotten, both through modeling and through observation, and both are important. In fact, without one, the other just can't work. So so let's get over to the news. Uh, from Ray Schultz, my friend Ray Schultz, we go back a long, long way. 
Um, in the basement, ad execs are near the bottom of the trust index. <laughs> Why not? They, they lie for a living. <laughs> the only ones below them, I think, are politicians. <laughs> but anyway, I love this. I love this. Probably a stock photo, right? You can trust me. Trust me. So friend said, you want to know when you're going to get fleeced? When a person puts his hand on your shoulder and says, trust me. Anyway, despite controversies about COVID-19, doctors are seen as the most trustworthy professionals by 59% of consumers. That's, one, that's, I think, one of the highest rated ones. Scientists are second. Okay. And this 22, uh, 2022 IPSOS Global Trustworthiness Index, I think they do this every year. And Ray, next, for next year, I'd like to see the, the movement, if there's any. Uh, maybe they don't even show you that, but you know, save the save the data and see if see if world events. You know, maybe doctors are still the highest, but maybe doctors were higher before COVID. I don't know. Um, but I think you know, the, there's there's two levels of that doctors thing, and which is my doctor, which is a friend of mine for years and years, and doctors in general, which are not necessarily friends. Um, so ad execs are third from last, beating only cabinet officials and politicians. You know, cabinet officials are like paid advisors who are usually friends. It's a way to pay your friends for getting you elected. Okay, and um, who's near the bottom? Not government employees, cops, business executives, or even journalists. Nope, the bottom is held by ad execs. Ad people are trusted by 18% worldwide and 13% in the U.S. Okay, and then the rest of the article talks about uh, pollsters, lawyers, and TV news anchors do we all do better, although not by much. Okay, and I think priests and clergy are about the middle, it looks like, a little higher in the U.S., um, Americans trust teachers almost they're right up there with doctors doctors are 59 teachers are 58 um, and 56 percent trust their their armed forces um, which is way higher than the rest of the world oh, 41 percent outside the U.S. and it might be because the U.S. Uh, you know we don't we don't permit the armed forces to be active inside the United States right so that may help their trust because they don't because we don't see them all the time you know sometimes in foreign countries you see a lot of a lot of troops around and we don't see that in the US almost ever okay so it was it was uh, ages 7 uh, between the ages of oops adults under 75 and in 28 countries so it's quite an extensive survey so thanks for that this was a really interesting article usually i put the best articles at the at the end and this one might be the best we'll see but um i liked it because it had testing in it but it also had qr codes which we're calling qrs <clears throat> and uh it said that qr codes improve tv ad response rates that's not a place you see them too much i mean there was a really really famous uh, uh, or notorious, the number one Super Bowl ad was just a QR going around the screen like that, and apparently it got a lot of re response. Um, so QRs are getting implemented all over the place, but in in uh, in 
cable TV ads, they're up 319%. And this is in the UK, it seems, um, because Sky Mobile is in is a UK brand. So I'm pretty sure that's... Anyway, and then it had this scan me over the side. And what they offered uh, was a particular kind of phone. Um, they call it a handset in the, in the UK. So also probably... Um, but anyway, so Matt Godsmark uh, said he's been inundated with questions from ad agencies asking how the QRs work and how they can use them. Um, he says it gives you greater accountability on your ad response, obviously so, because it takes you right where you want them to, people to go. Um, and he's hearing that advertisers are saying all ads need to have some kind of tangible response mechanic. Uh, and that is, of course, one of the heart and souls of direct marketing, that uh, generating a measurable response is one of the foundational principles of direct marketing. And as I've mentioned recently, I always laughed at that because it's like, well, what do you mean? As opposed to an unmeasurable response or but there are unmeasurable responses. There are responses that are too small to measure. And so it's it, it, measurable might mean more about. Not that we could measure, but don't, but actually about the about the statistical validity of the of the response that's created. I hope that's what they meant. I'm, in my old age, I'm giving Bob Stone and Pete Hoke the benefit of the doubt. <clears throat> okay, so we're still learning about the role of the QR, and <clears throat> he says, and uh, and so it's an opportunity to add res a response engagement. Um, you know, we call it a call to action or a response device um, into a media that we already know is highly effective. And Sky Media was doing targeted ads in um, in household level segmentation uh, in in cable TV. <clears throat> but what was interesting is, and I like this, QR ads were tested against ads without QRs, and the results showed an uplift in attribution for ads with a QR, even where audiences hadn't clicked, hadn't scanned it. And I, you know, I go back to the in the old days we used to test response devices, and you know sometimes if they were too hidden, people didn't get that you were looking for a response, that there was an offer to be found, and so the QR in itself alerts people that there is some kind of an offer and can, I think, boost the attention level of your ad. That's what I would say to Matt. Um, our theory is that that potentially having a well-integrated QR code makes the brand look good, makes it look like you want to hear from people, right? I couldn't quite believe it, but that's what the data shows. It says it boosts engagement with the creative. So that ugly QR actually tells people, we want to hear from you. And there's something here for you, okay? You know, special offer inside. We used to put on the outside of the envelopes, okay? If it's just stuck in the corner, as find out more, it will be less successful. And I think that's, I think what he's saying here is it needs an offer. So now is the perfect time to do low risk, low cost testing. Oh, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Matt, for that insight. Very, 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 very interesting. Okay, now let's get back to the last part. And I, I mentioned, uh, I, you know, we did a Matthew Parker uh, article 
on Friday, and I and I got all motivated. I got to go back and see what it was about. <laughs> and you know, the the articles that I mark up on live here are available at wdma.org right after the show almost all the time. And there's also a podcast. Uh, if you want to send this to a friend who likes podcasts, you know, you can go on. You can go on WDMA.org, and the, the podcast takes a little longer because I do sometimes edit out the ums and the uhs and all that. Um, mostly not. <laughs> but anyway, so here's Matthew. This is a follow-up that we're given Matthew uh, in, a different, in, a, in a different publication. How to use Pareto planning for sales. So you're probably familiar with the Pareto or Pareto principle. I think it was a Greek guy. Uh, 80% of the effects come from 20% of the causes. Okay, and it's it's true all across the board. I remember, you know, knowing the principle, but I remember working on um, uh, a project for Amico Oil back in the early 80s, and you know, Amico kind of felt like you know it was mostly they mostly had small mom and pop gas stations in those days and i ended up on a plane flying to a dma show with with um hal burnett ed burnett's brother and hal worked at national business list and uh and so we got to talking and i said how did you do that number of employees by you know by sic he said oh we just made it up he said, you know, gas stations, eight to ten employees. We'll, we'll give them a nine. <laughs> okay. And so when I was working with Amico, I didn't really think that there would be, you know, that that 20% of the of the gas stations would, would generate 80% of the sales. It was tires, batteries, and accessories division is what I was what I was working on. And I went and visited a bunch of gas stations in the neighborhood and you know around Milwaukee Metro, and mostly they were smaller businesses, right? Um, but when I got into the data, it was dramatically skewed. The top 20% were, in fact, very, very, very big buyers. And it was about, and, and you know, and when I looked up who they were, it was like the, like the, uh, the big truck stops on I-80, you know, going around Chicago. And of course, that makes perfect sense, right? Right where the Illinois-Indiana border is, there's huge, huge places with probably 50 or 100 pumps. And uh, like almost a shopping mall when you get out and walk around. So it works even with gas stations. It's worked with every business I've ever looked at. And it's one of the reasons, if you get my book, it has some diagrams and stuff that are that are about how you should score your customers if this is true. Uh, in other words, if, if you read, uh, there aren't very many books on how to do like RFM scoring, but most will say, um, like Arthur Hughes uh, talks, talks, talked about how to, how to build an RFM uh, test matrix, which is recency, frequency, monetary. And he said, you know, make, make every, uh, make, make fifths, like the, the most recent buyers, a fifth of the buyers, then more, then more, then more, then more. And a fifth of the buyers in monetary, life-to-date monetary, and fifth and fifth and fifth and fifth. And the, and the problem with that is, is that the top 20% then, that first 
group of the best buyers contributes 80% of the sales. And the bottom, you know, it, it can only be spread so thin. So the bottom half or so, the bottom, bottom four or, th I mean, three or f two or three fifths will contribute only 20%. 60% of the buyers will only, not even 20%, like 15 and and so and it's even worse in in frequency because there uh, the the bottom three quintiles call them will only contribute most of them only bought once about sixty percent so the bottom three of the quintiles all have the same value how do you split them so what we did was and I got this from John Worth um, at Woodworker Supply of New Mexico he said. He, that he started scoring the effect rather than the 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 quantity of customers. So he did he did the the uh, frequency score with the first 20% of the of the of the of the uh, orders life to date, and that might give you just one percent of the customers. Might contribute 20% of the orders. Probably does. And then the next the next 20% of the orders might be five, four, five percent, and the next might be 15, and you'll end up with a big hunk at the bottom, 50 to 60% that all ordered once, which is appropriate. There's no way to split a one-time buyer, right? And so there's a really important principle in scoring and in creation of variables. Now, sometimes the quintiles make sense if you've got two small, if you've got a 10,000 group cell and you want to split it in half, then the quintiles work better <clears throat> but oftentimes there isn't the effect there isn't much there it doesn't matter much and yeah, so you look for another variable anyway so it works in nearly all areas of our lives I th I think I've made that case now I mean it's worked in you could say I made a whole career of scoring people's data looking at their data in terms of the Pareto principle so how does it work with print sales well use the Pareto to focus on the right accounts <clears throat> look at the top 20 of your accounts but also those accounts with the top 20 potential okay and maybe it's just 20 or 20 percent it could be either way depends on how many customers you have and uh, also focus on the right sales activities do you get most of your sales activity from networking from social media calling email blasts whatever works best for you is where you should be spending most of your time okay and then take it to set the right sales targets there shouldn't be one size fits all for sales targets. Work on the best opportunities and results from a sales team to set the right targets. And make sure you understand the effects of compound Pareto activity. So focusing on the 20% of the 20%, you know, that that's like the like the 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 5% of the 20%, right? Something like that. Which is about 20, you know, the 5% of your customers is about 25% of the of the of the top 20 so I'm throwing around a lot of math you shouldn't do math live it's it's very very taxing okay so it can be highly useful for setting yourself uh, making yourself highly focused on sales projects and Matthew has more of that on his at his website I highly encourage you if you're in print sales especially but any kind of sales reach out to Matthew have a great day like and share your friends will know you're smart bye bye